I want to share with you a new obsession of mine. And maybe obsession is too strong of a word. But it's something. And perhaps you can relate. I'm talking about the random payphones I see out there in the world. A world whose use for payphones is of a bygone era, really. Right? If you're of a certain age, you remember payphones. And even used payphones regularly. I know younger people have a hard time imagining a time before everyone had a phone in their pockets. Not only a phone in your pocket, but one that's programmed with all the numbers you call right inside. And if that's not enough, the pocket phone can look up any number you need whenever you need it. Well, not every person's number, but numbers of places and things and a camera and lots of other incredibly useful things and some other things that seem useful then only turned out to be incredible wasters of time. But back to those payphones. Do you notice them? I notice them. And one in particular is on my regular route to and from my job. It's outside a gas station convenience store in Sonoma. And I frequent that store a few times a week for gas, bottled water, snacks if I need a snack, and sometimes just to say hi to Cindy, who works there. Cindy and I have one of those relationships people have in passing. We always have a smile and a hello and maybe even smallish talk for one another. I only know her name because she wears a name tag. I'm not sure she knows my name. And I'm pretty sure she is unaware of my obsession with her payphone. Well, it's not her payphone, of course. Payphones are for everyone. They are a shared thing. Or they used to be. And this one, the one attached to the wall outside Cindy's convenience store, is there, available, and I walk right by it each time I go in and out of the store. I doubt most people ever give it a second look. Would you? I'm sure these are things you want to know by now. Like, does the thing even work? I can't tell you for sure. I haven't tried it out, but it looks up to date. It's not defaced in any way with parts missing like I've seen on some other less fortunate payphones. It would seem to be in good shape. It even has a few stickers on it telling you how much it is for a call. 50 cents. And the sticker telling you what the phone number is for calling it. Did you ever do that? Back in the day, did you ever know the number of a payphone and call someone on it? Now that's a very specific thing. I'm pretty sure at some point I called people on payphones. At least once. And, of course, there's a scene in the Dirty Harry movie, Clint Eastwood, early 70s San Francisco police inspector, racing from payphone to payphone, attempting to stop a serial killer named Scorpio from killing a girl he's holding hostage. Maybe the best payphone scene in all of the movies. Which gets us to the next question, and the question is, if someone were to call that payphone, would it ring? And to take it a step further, if that payphone outside Cindy's store were to ring, would someone answer it? Would you answer it? Would I answer it? Are you kidding me? Of course. That's one of those, you'll never guess what happened moments, right? Hey, I was walking by a payphone today and it was ringing and I answered it. And you'll never guess what happened. Well, I had this whole scenario worked out where I was going to encourage you to call that payphone at 
right around the time I might have been passing by, around 9.20 in the morning, not every morning, but at least a couple of days of my work week, a social experiment and a way to connect with you, my listener. Well, sadly, leading up to recording this episode, I actually called the number listed on the phone and it actually does not take incoming calls. What the heck kind of deal is that? Chalk it up to yet another thing in our world that's different than it used to be. And not as much fun either, but thanks for following along. And welcome to the Tall Mike Wine Podcast, the wine podcast that's not all about wine. Heard in 51 countries on six continents and in 47 of these United States. From King of Prussia, Pennsylvania to Frisco, Texas. From Draper, Utah to Duval, Washington. And number 11 on the feed spot list of the top wine podcasts. Yes, number 11. We moved up the charts again. I'm Tall Mike Wine, your tall wine-obsessed host. I'm glad you're here. Checking out the podcast where wine and conversation meet for fun. Wine should be fun, right? Let's talk about the wines I'm drinking. After all, it's a wine podcast. That's not all about wine. First up, Petite Syrah. Not Syrah. I believe we talked about how the two grapes are related in another episode. If you want to know the real deal on Petite Syrah, look up a grape known as Derif. It's interesting. Anyway, the wine I'm sipping currently, made by Helen Keplinger, who has a small winery in the Napa Valley, and her go-to grape is Grenache. For this wine, she went darker and far afield from the Napa Valley, all the way east to Amador County in the Sierra Nevada mountains. High elevation Petite Syrah. The wine is called Sumo, like the wrestling. From the 2014 vintage, and it is all things dark. Color, flavors of all the dark fruits and flowers and spices. Think Plums and blackberries, violets and peppercorns, even something slate-like in this chewy, chewy wine. A nice companion as the nights are getting a little colder here. Helen Keplinger started her winery with the 2007 vintage after working with some pretty big names in the wine world. Heidi Barrett, Michelle Roland, to name just a couple. Her career was given some major gas in 2014 when she was featured on the cover of Wine Spectator. That's sort of a big deal. The other night, I revisited a wine I shared on the podcast about a year ago with my pal Larry Sharp. That was episode 22. And the wine was an Italian Merlot from Marchesi di Frescobaldi called Castelgiacondo La Maione 2012. The more recent wine was from 2014. Still smoky, still dark, still dense, but maybe a step or two below the 2012 wine in quality. Perhaps the cooler, wetter year in Tuscany that season. Still very tannic and chewy for a 2014, and don't get me wrong, amazing. One of those wines that's a great companion late into the night. I guess with 700 years of wine-growing tradition, you can't go wrong. Truly an old world wine. 
Hey, Adam's book is out. Adam Roberts, the amateur gourmet, my recent guest and co-author of the cookbook, Give My Swiss Charge to Broadway. Now available wherever you buy books. Featuring clever takes on recipes named for Broadway shows. If you love musicals and puns, this book will amuse you. If not, you may cringe when encountering recipes with titles such as Yoklahoma, The Foodie and the Beast, Yam Yankees, Dear Melon Hansen. Did you cringe? I cringed a little. But I'm happy for Adam. Check it out if you are so inclined. I should get you up to speed on the happenings at Nicholson Ranch, the Sonoma Winery where I spend my days. Of course, the main thing happening there is the replant of the estate vineyard. The winery is on the main road between Napa and Sonoma, so we get lots of curious people coming into the winery asking, what the heck's going on? It does, honestly, look a little like the great lunar landscape. Right in front of the winery and going up and down the road in either direction, there used to be vines. Now it's just a lot of dirt. The replanting of vines will happen next spring when the little one-year-old vines will be planted. Then things will look a bit more normal. Like a winery. Like a vineyard. There's the banjo music. That means I'll be on the road again soon. I've started making my plans for what has become the yearly trip to Walla Walla, Washington. Spokane, too, this time. This will be the week before Thanksgiving week. If you happen to be around eastern Washington, let me know. Also, Yakima, where I'll hang out again with Justin and Brooke Newfeld of J.B. Newfeld, a small winery I've spoken of before. I love them. I love their wines and joined their club when they started it a couple of years back. Cabernet was the sole focus when they began, and now they make a Sauvignon Blanc juicy and delicious. And this new release, which arrived in my club shipment this week, features a Syrah. They are growing, slow and steady, and that's due in part to having a faithful wine club. If there's a small winery whose wines you enjoy consider joining their club. It's a great way to support smaller producers, get great wines at a discount, and do cool things with the winery people. Plus, that predictable revenue arouses them to plan and grow and thrive. I'm expecting big things from the Newfelds. See you soon, guys. I've got a few guests in the pipeline. So there will be full episodes very soon, but I hope you've enjoyed getting up to speed. As always, feel free to drop me a line with questions, comments, or to request the official Tall Mike Wine podcast coasters to tallmikewine at gmail.com. I take lots of pictures of wines I drink, things I find interesting or amusing on my Instagram, at tallmikewine. Also, I use a hashtag, Sexy bottle shot. Use it yourself to show off wines you're drinking, and I'll follow you. And as always, the Tall Mike Wine Podcast was conceived and is written, edited, produced, and maintained by yours truly. Keep swirling, keep sniffing, keep sipping. Thanks for hanging out. From Novato, California, I'm Mike Stone. Cheers. <laughs>